You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 51. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the Thursday edition. I know so many of you guys love these guests, and I'm so excited to share one with you today. But before I get started, Life with Intention Online is starting in 2015 this February, and I have a special holiday rate open right now until this Friday, December 12th, for those who are interested and want to gift or receive the class for this holiday season. I'm offering it at $100 less than what it will be offered next year. So if you know you want to take the class, now is the time to get the best deal on it. Either way, it will be opening again in January. So if you'd prefer to wait till then, you're more than welcome to. I'm just excited to offer it so that people that want to get it in the holiday season can. And the really cool thing about the class is that we're going to be adding live coaching calls to the experience. So even though the videos and the modules and the community are all stellar, I'm so excited to bring this more interactive and engaging community with live group Google Hangouts. And if you can't make the Google Hangouts because we have students all over the world taking this, so time zones can be an issue or schedules can be busy, people can submit their questions to be asked during those coaching calls beforehand as well. In the feedback from class, 100% of the students have said they recommend that other people take this as well. You can find out more at lifewithintentiononline.com. And now for today's episode. So in this lively show, we're talking with Mrs. Lillian, who is actually named Kelly Lillian, and she is the voice and the face of the MrsLillian.com brand. For those who may not be familiar with Mrs. Lillian, she is fabulous, and she has a incredibly talented graphic design sense that feels very Palm Springs and cheeky and fun and witty. She is someone who actually reminds me a lot of a Jonathan Adler aesthetic and personality, which is funny because she actually is right now doing a lot of their communications and graphic design for the brand currently with Jonathan Adler, which for anyone that's a design buff out there like myself, she does talk about what she's learned from Jonathan Adler towards the second half of the show. In this show, we talk also about why she rhymes in her posts. And in the middle of this episode, we kind of had to do a two-part recording. The first 10 minutes were recorded over a month ago, but then sound became an issue. We weren't getting clear sound, so we stopped. And by the time we resumed a month later, I learned more about Kelly and found out that she, for several years, dealt with anxiety and depression and has decided to take medication in order to help with those issues. We discussed it. She was really incredible and was totally open and frank and funny and totally herself sharing on this really serious topic of anxiety and depression and the decisions she went through immediately before and right as she decided to become medicated for this and what went into that. I know that this is a kind of hot topic on the internet and just out there in general. So many people are saying how overprescribed medications like this can be. And this is a really extremely positive episode that shows that there are definitely people that do need this when all the other natural methods don't work. As someone who doesn't have that many family or friends that I know personally that have gone through this, it's fascinating to learn how positive it really can be. And I'm really glad to have Kelly share her story. 
And we've had other episodes just for those who are struggling in different areas or in different ways. We've had Clara Arschwager on, and she's spoken about how she was prescribed medication but did not feel that was the right thing, and she actually needed to take actions in her own life. And there are people like Esme Wang, who's talked about mental health in a really poignant way. And we've had Kate Ahrens talk about mental health and the importance of bringing awareness and removing stigma to it. So I'll put those episodes in the show notes too. So if you're on a mental health kick, you can go into those episodes and dive into other perspectives and scenarios. In addition, we're going to then lighten up towards the second or the final quarter of the show. And we're going to talk about what Kelly's experience has been like working with Jonathan Adler. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mrs. Lillian. Thanks for having me, Mrs. Lively. <laughs> so are you going to be rhyming with us today throughout this episode? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's like the real, the real giggle of this game is that, and people are either going to take this and roll their eyes and be like, whatever. But I, I promise you, it's easier for me to rhyme than it is to do other things. I have always thought in rhyme since I was a little kid. Dr. Seuss books probably had a little bit to do with that, but I can't even stand how fun it is half the time. I'm like, where did that come from? Oh my gosh. It just always sort of in a weird way jumps out of my mouth. (laughs) So do you speak in rhyme with your family and what do they think of the rhyming? I mean, if I do, I'm utterly delighted with myself. I'll probably do like a little jump and clap and they think I'm completely insane, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's never anything that I have to, you know, sweat and try too hard to do. It'll probably just come out that way. But the funny part about the whole writing in it is that no lie, I am a horrible, awful, I don't like to follow any rules. Let's just put it that way. I don't like rules. I don't like, I don't like to do anything that's totally correct. I like to do it my way. And so rhyming is my way of getting out of really having to write properly because I don't, I don't want to. I think it's fun and it adds just another dimension to the zaniness that is Mrs. Lillian that everybody reads. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And for anyone listening, I'm sure I've probably shared this in the intro, but I'll just say for those that are not familiar with Kelly and Mrs. Lillian.com that you write in rhyme on your posts. I don't think you do it so much for your Instagram or your social media, right? No, no. It's mostly just about the little stories or whatever it is that I happen to be fascinated with that day. And for the most part, pretty short to be really specific in rhyme um, and detailed is not the easiest thing to do, but I can do it. That being said, I tend to keep them, you know, like a small little paragraph. It's really hilarious. And sometimes I'll sit there and I will be chuckling to myself and just rubbing my hands with delight because it just came together so well. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about your background and how you got to where you are. Okay. So I am a graphic designer. And I think that some people know that. And if they didn't, well, now they do. To go back, I mean, there are archives and archives to discuss, but I will keep it sort of in the realm that applies mostly to this. So I went back to school for the second time. And I shouldn't really say, I guess I should say I picked up where I left off because I (laughs) didn't finish the first time. I had no idea what I was doing. I was having way too much fun. And so I hightailed it out of Eugene, Oregon, which is where I had originally been going to school and moved to San Francisco because I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to art school. This is what I'm going to do. And 
I was the young, ripe age of 19 down there and very quickly realized it's nearly impossible to go to school and live in a city that's tray expensive without a job. And so I had to put all that kind of on hold and I worked, you know, a number of jobs here and there. And then I met my husband at, see, I was 20, he was 23 and we've been together ever since that day. Oh, that's so sweet. How did you meet? So we met in a uh, taco shop down in the outer Richmond where all the tumbleweeds and fog roll in. <laughs> it was just sort of, he was the only guy in there and, and I was with my roommate and we were in line next to each other. And I remember being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that's the one, that's the one. And Wait, you felt that way standing in a taco line? Yes. Absolutely. It was the weirdest thing. I had never had that happen to me before. We ended up sitting at a table together and we had a really quick exchange. We planned to hang out two days from that day. I remember when he got up because he had to go when he got up and walked out the door of the taco shop and down the street to his car. My roommate and I were sitting across from each other and I said nothing to her until I knew he was in his vehicle and nowhere near. And no lie, I looked at her across the table and I with the most serious face said, I'm going to have his babies. <laughs> and she looked at me and goes, you are so freaking crazy, Kelly. And I go, watch me. And I'm telling you, we've met, we've been together ever since that time. Ever Did since. Did he feel that way when he was standing oh, in the taco? Oh God, line? probably not. But <laughs> you know, I guess, uh, it all worked out. So and three babies later, three kids. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So anyways, okay, now let me get back to my graphic design thing. So I met my husband in San Francisco. We didn't get married there. At the time, he was a hot Coast Guard guy. Men in uniform were like big in my book. So I was fascinated with that. And he got job in Hawaii. And he was like, I have to go, I have to move to Hawaii. And I was like, great, I'm coming. He's like, great. So we hop off to Hawaii <laughs> together. Gosh, we were there for five years. We ended up getting married there. And that's when I was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I've done everything totally backwards. I didn't finish school. I got married. What? Like, what is going on? And so truly, truly, I was sitting in my temp job at the time there over on the islands what was I? I was the assistant children's librarian at this school library. And it was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had. Really, really the coolest. And it really made me appreciate libraries because I don't think I really have paid much mind to them at all in my life up until that point. <laughs> I remember having some downtime and I opened the paper and I was like, this cannot be the rest of my life where I'm opening up the paper trying to find my next gig. And that was terrifying. And so I was like, well, I'm at a library. We have crazy resources. So I went over and I, I started looking into what the programs were in the area that I could dive into. And lo and behold, there was graphic design or communication arts, I should say. And so I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And I went home that day. I told my husband, he's like, great, let's do it. Let's do it. So then I signed up and, and it was the first time in my life I had ever gotten good grades. I had ever actually gotten an A or the only time in my life I had ever made Dean's List or whatever you want to call it. 
because I actually found what I was supposed to do, what I was good at. And um, I pissed everybody off that I was in the program with. Everybody hated me because I was great at what I did. I totally know what that feels like because I hated everybody that I was in school with because everything became so easy for them. And for me, it was such a struggle. So I went to school. And then uh, right when I finished, I had my son, which was totally unexpected. But awesome. (laughs) That was nine years ago, if you can believe it. He just turned nine. Oh, that's exciting. I know. Once I finished and I'm at home with an infant and I was 20, newly 26, completely thinking to myself, well, I just worked my butt off for this degree. I'm totally going to not let it go to waste. I have to use this. And so I think it started with I designed his birth announcement and sent it out. And then the next thing I know, everybody's climbing up my tree trying to get wedding invitations and, you know, this, that and the other. And so out of just that, I was doing that kind of design. We had planned to have a conversation about a month ago when we started this interview to talk about graphic design and how it led to Mrs. Lillian, all of that good stuff. But in that last month, I think life has had a better plan for us all along. We're now going to kind of take a turn here and just really get real and honest about things that you're going through that we may not know from Mrs. Lillian, but need to be shared because the message that you have to say can be really impactful for those listening. Before we started recording, you shared something about some issues you've been going through since 2012. And there is this idea in your head that you didn't want to take a pill to be happy. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that with us? No, I'd be happy actually to talk about that. (laughs) So I'm sure like so many other people, I too struggle with a lot of psychological issues, I think is probably the proper way to say it. Sometimes I think that, you know, it's circumstantial. Sometimes I think it's just sort of part of your DNA. I think that for me, it's probably a combination of both. And I probably should have been on something for the later half of my life. But I think what I would do is I would find myself in a really, really dark place periodically. And I would always work my way out of it. And I always ha- it was empowered by that. Like, I guess in the sense of I can always pick myself up, dust myself off and keep going. I am a resilient human being. But when things started to happen all the time and I would find myself in these really frantic slash dark places, I started to get really worried about, is this not ever going to go away? And how do you deal with that? And so I took it upon myself, the savvy internet woman that I am, and (laughs) (laughs) dove into just personal research about different ways that I could help myself with these issues of feeling anxiety and depression. And how long ago was that when you started looking into it? Funny enough, it was in the middle of writing Mrs. Lillian's Cocktail Swatch book, the first book. Yeah. Really? I have that book, by the way. That's fascinating to know that you're going through that while you're writing something. Tell us about that. Really, at that point, the workload was very intense. So not only was I writing a book for Random House, had never done anything like that before, but also having a personal, uh, not a personal set, but a, a set of private clients that I was freelance designing for, and then also authoring Mrs. Lillian and taking care of at the time, my two children, my husband, so on and so forth. And I think really, I got to a point where I thought I'm going to crack 
if I don't do something. And it was obviously after I had tried to, like I said, do a bunch of research. And what I had found in that research is that a lot of these things can be managed through diet and just life changes. And so I wanted so desperately for that to work. And I can honestly say that for six months, I took coffee, caffeine, alcohol, sugar, meat, wheat, and dairy out of my life. Alcohol, really? Mrs. Lillian, you are writing a swatch book about cocktails. How did you do that? Well, the research, the the R&D had already been done at that point. And I think my liver was like cooked, to be perfectly honest. And I was probably well on my way to a check-in unit at AA. So it was probably a great time for that to happen. But what I can say to that is I felt good. I felt healthy. I felt vibrant. I felt as though my insides were very clean. I felt more clear-headed, but the emotional side of things were still there. And so I remember thinking one day, you know what? I don't want to restrict myself like this if nothing is going to change ultimately, if if I'm still going to have these demons and these struggles. So we're basically just a really clean, angry or depressed person. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And so I was, you know, I was like, okay, screw it. And then actually I should say before that I did go and I tried some, some vitamins and some supplements as well that were supposed to help in in the same sort of area. But ultimately it really didn't help me. And so I remember so clearly that before I picked up the phone to call my primary care physician, I was just at such a low point. And I thought to myself, I cannot believe I'm going to get on the phone and ask someone to please give me something to help me, to make me happy. What did that point look like for you? That was fear, anxiety, and depression. But was there something going on that became the turning point? Was there something that you were just like, this is too much, I need help? I think just the fact that I was living in a panic attack. You know, panic attacks, if you've ever had one, are terrifying. Yes. <laughs> you feel like an old man having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. There's the heart palpitations. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm going to stroke out. Oh, my God. I'm going to stroke out. And not being able to shake it and, like, pacing and kind of just being in my head and all, and just knowing that what was going on on the inside of my mind was now actually translating to what was on the outside. That's what I was presenting was exactly all the things I was always able to hide. It was actually now coming out when you're a mother and a married woman and, and what you would like to call a professional, you don't like those things to be noticeable. You want everything to be calm, cool, and collected. And like you have yourself together. And so that was a very scary moment. Because you didn't feel like you could keep it all together in those three areas. Oh, I knew it. I knew it wasn't together. It was not together. And I knew that if I didn't do that, I would jeopardize relationships with my children and my husband. You know, it, it most importantly, my therapist would probably say, most importantly, it's for you. And she's right. It is. But At the time, it was for my kids and my husband and then me. I now know that it's for me and then them. And really, this has taken a long time for me to wrap my mind around. But if you can't take care of yourself, you are good to nobody. So I knew that 
I just didn't have a choice. And so I called, I went in and I remember sitting on the table with the paper on it being like, oh my God. <laughs> and you probably had fabulous jewels on and you had your hair done like Mrs. Lillian online. <laughs> oh, for sure. Sitting there, go, you know, head in hand going, oh my God. But I just remember saying to her, my doctor is amazing. I remember saying to her, yeah, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And we had talked about it for a little while, you know, leading up to that appointment anyways. And she's not one who likes to prescribe things, I guess, all the time. So it, it certainly isn't one of those situations where she was trying to sell me. I was coming to her and saying, it's time. And I said to her, I need something. I got it. I, I can't, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. It's horrible. And so, you know, we had a couple back and forth about what it was and the specifics and so on. And I just remember saying to her, but I got to be honest with you, do not put me on something that's going to make me blow up like a balloon because that's really going to crush my spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you had your, your limits, if you will, but you were ready to feel better. Yeah. So she did. So she put me on medication and I remember, or she didn't put me on it. I had the paper and I walked from her office to the pharmacy from point A to point B, slapped that baby down on the counter and I perused Rite Aid for the next 20 minutes until it was ready. And I remember I got, went up to the counter to buy a bottle of water and get my new, my new medication. And I bought it. I went to the corner where no one could see me, opened it up and took the first one with my newly purchased bottle of water and walked home. It was an interesting time because I'd never, I'd never been on anything before. So I had no idea what to expect. And oh gosh, the first probably, well, that weekend, I think that was a Friday, that weekend, I, be, I felt like I was on a, on a spaceship to Mars. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it's kind of like when you're, Younger days when you took some things that you weren't supposed to, <laughs> camping with friends and whatnot. No, I'm just kidding, but not really. Like you're hallucinating, like the walls are melting, like you see plaid. Is that supposed to be the case? Is that just what it's like when you go on something like that? Uh, well, first of all, these types of medications completely change the chemistry and the chemicals that your brain is and body are producing. So if it didn't do that, I'd be a little scared. That being said, I think it just depends on how sensitive you are to medications, to just anything. If you're a physically sensitive person, which I do believe I am, I think it has a greater impact, you know, when you first start taking it. And what actually has to happen is that you have to get the levels in your system. Your system has to sort of like acclimate to it. So yeah, that weekend, I just remember just I felt like I was melting off of chairs and stuff. And I <laughs> probably terrify a lot of people, but the ones that have gone through it totally get what I'm saying. I just do remember even feeling completely like a like Gumby that I had this bizarro, unfamiliar sense of calm over me. And that feeling is never left. And I'm so incredibly grateful for it because what I did come to learn after being on the medication for a good six months, I rem or three months, really, I should say, I remember looking back at the old me and my eyes nearly popping out of my head at the thought because I was able to... I was able to stay really grounded and real and focused in times of chaos. So when the kids are running around and when 
you've got a million things going on. It doesn't feel like everything's going to crumble. It feels doable. Another thing that I realized that really I was so unaware of, and I'm so glad that it's not an issue, but I didn't know it was an issue before, is that I was able to look at people in the eye and speak to them in a calm fashion where I wasn't having to tell myself inside during the entire chat to focus on them, to stop fidgeting, to please don't nervous laugh at them because they'll have no idea what's the matter with you. I did not know that I had those types of like racing thoughts when I would speak to someone, anyone. Because when I finally, I was acclimated to the medication, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird to have a conversation with someone where I'm really like listening and looking at them. And I'm not so distracted by telling myself not to look anxious. So basically, I think I realized I probably had a little bit of social anxiety as well. So not to self-diagnose, but yeah, it, it was major. And things were better with my husband. I remember thinking, not that they were bad, I think it just... I was always bummed that I was so crazed all the time. And I remember thinking, oh man, so this is what it feels like to feel really together. Everything started to get so much better and life was manageable and I was freaking happy. I could look at pictures of my children as babies and not cry. I could look at them instead of sad. They're no longer like that to oh, look at how sweet. I, this is so precious. I, I, you know, I want to go hug them right now. Anything to just being able to manage the ups and downs of what it's, what the real world is like as a freelance designer, you know, all the different stresses that, that I have all the time that come along with the territory, such as, uh, you know, I don't get a paycheck every two weeks and direct deposit with the taxes taken out in a cute little stub, like most people do jobs. I can go months without getting paid for something that I did six months prior. So you did this for three months, right? That was what you had mentioned. So what happened after those three months? Funny. I actually had to increase it. You didn't go off of it. You just adjusted it. No. Oh, no, no, no. And I, here's the thing. Again, coming from someone that really was very resistant I now say, and I've told my doctor this, and I'll tell anyone that I'm having the conversation with, I will have a lifetime prescription of this. I'm never going off. I have no plan to. People can are so entitled to their opinion about that, but until you've been in that situation and it actually works for you, then why change it? Why mess with it? Why challenge yourself when you know that these things are already part of who you are and for me, it's the solution. And I am so thankful that I'm, I, I consider myself lucky in the sense that some people try to go on medication because they find themselves in the same position that I did and are prescribed something that probably wasn't a right fit or probably needed to try like a different one or a combination or maybe, you know, the dosage, I don't know. And it becomes a nightmare situation and they have to go off of it. And then they end up saying, oh my gosh, I'm never taking that again. And it becomes such a, such a non-option for them. I just feel really lucky that the one that was prescribed to me happens to be one that really, really, really works. And I didn't have to go through that. And it's still working and it's still great. And life is manageable. 
that's wonderful to hear. And really what you're saying and what everyone kind of, I think the the rote way of describing this nowadays is like, you know, there are situations which are maybe affected by lifestyle that can be changed and can use those natural methods. But then everyone kind of has this clause that says, unless there's a chemical imbalance that is very serious and beyond all of that help. What you're saying is that you feel that from what you've learned at this experience, that you are in that lighter category and that people in that later category can really benefit. Absolutely. Before telling all of the universe to go and pill up, I certainly think it's worth looking into for just your own awareness, the things that you can do to change yourself um, and to, to help alleviate some of those problems through diet, through changes to your life, exercise, yoga, meditation, all that kind of stuff. That did not work for me. I'm a very intense person. So I don't really like, it's hard for me to relax. But that being said, I think that if you can find an easy solution that doesn't require you to take further action, then why not? You know, I certainly, if the natural approach and being like my health advisor uh, worked, I would not be on medication. However, it didn't. And so that's now why I am. And because of the success of my experience, I just don't know why, you know, at least at this point in my life, I, I can't imagine not having it. Yeah. So you really do feel like this was the chemical imbalance situation, not just a a lifestyle or a temporary thing. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think aside from just the stressors that I have in, in my life, I certainly have a lot of this situation in, in my family, both sides of. Yeah. That's what I was going to wonder. Is it is it hereditary? Because I know Erin Gates shared on her episode that she also struggles with a lot of anxiety specifically. I'm not sure about depression, but I know that it's something she shared as part of her genetics. It, it comes with the territory in her case. Oh, yeah. It pumps through my bloodline. <laughs> I mean, and it was always something that I thought, oh, I'm not going to be like crazy so-and-so, you know, but <laughs> great aunt Martha. Yeah, there she goes again. No, I, I think I just didn't want to think that I was going to have that. You know, I, I'm such a sunshiny person. And a lot of people probably wouldn't peg me as someone that struggles, but I am. And, you know, really, to speak to that point, I think that's also what makes me so bright as well. And, and I think you'll probably find that that's a common thread and people that struggle with darkness and with anxiety is that they also have the ability to kind of be the opposite of that as well. I know that everybody in the, in the internet world um, would not peg me like that, but it is, I think, also the fuel that flames my fabulous fire as well, because without it, I don't know, I don't think I would be as vivacious and flamboyant and all that without it. So here's a question then. So you've shared about how it's tempered all of the negative sides. And then you've just shared that the darkness can also bring the light in your personality. Has the medication, do you believe, actually negatively affected the positive side of anything or kind of dulled those sensations? I really am so thrilled to say that none of that has happened to me in my personal experience. I can't speak to all people and all medications and all experiences, but I feel elation. I feel all the things that make me who I am that are characteristically uh, definitive of my character, such as just happy, laughy, buoyant, flamboyant, you know, silly, fun, playful, uh, 
all of it. I, I, <laughs> none of that went away. If anything, it allowed it to come out more because it wasn't being shoved down by all the negative elements that I was like, going through. So tell us, okay, so this was back in 2012. So how has it evolved since then? The um, feeling better about everything. Yeah. Has everything just continued to be gravy and, and pretty stable? For me, it's happiness in, happiness out. And and I know that's so freaking cheesy and dumb, but it really is the honest to God truth. Does it mean you never get sad or upset anymore? I don't. And I like it. It sounds like you're saying like, I'm in a, a wonderfully warm climate that never changes and it's beautiful, which sounds amazing, but it almost sounds hard to believe. But maybe I'm not saying it's not your truth. It just seems incredible. As a person that struggled her whole life with being extremely emotional and so emotional that things that, how, how would I say, things that other people wouldn't cry about, I would. Not not in a sort of sissy like, well, that makes me sad, but in a, oh my gosh, I feel the major intensity that that person must have gone through. And it's so overwhelming that the only thing that comes out is tears. I guess that's more, that happens when it's fortunate and it's unfortunate when you're really, really, really deep feeler. Um, I will say this, and this is a very bizarro trait that I have, but I can be speaking to anybody about anything on any context, whether it's over the phone or in person. And if it is something that I'm excited about or something that they say that really affects me, I get goosebumps all over my body immediately. And it shows. And it's one of those things that's really obvious. It can be the dead of Indian summer here where it is just pumping heat and humidity. And someone could say, oh my gosh, I saw your daughter at the park and she was just floating on the swings. They're everywhere, all over the place. I mean, covering my body. And it's one of those things that I can't hide. Is that something that's always been there or has it changed since? Always, always. I don't really know how else to explain that that's sort of the level that my body feels. And so that's always a fun reminder for me that I know that I still have a pulse, I guess, is that <laughs> they will always come out and remind me that I still have that. But on the same level, I don't have the gut-wrenching sadness that would sometimes accompany that. Um, if it were something, it could be a story that I read on the, or I heard on the news or someone I didn't even know, or, I mean, it could be anything. And before it would really deeply affect me and kind of control my thoughts for a long time. And the goosebumps, good or bad, would be there. But now it's just sort of they come and they remind me that things do still really get me. And it's fun and, and it's sweet. And I always point it out because <laughs> maybe that's my own insecurity about it. But I'll sort of say it in passing like, oh, look, see, see, that's a good thing. <laughs> What would you do for someone listening to this and going, this sounds like she's speaking about me right now, but they're still not sure if medication is really the right move. What would you tell them? I would say this. I would say that it is such a gift to have that realization. So many people, whether they don't want to feed into it, they don't want to believe it, or they are so incredibly in denial over it, do not give themselves that opportunity and others refuse it. So if you have it, I would say that's half the battle that, that you're realizing that you really 
that you, that life as you know it is unacceptable and and not sustainable in the way that you're feeling. And life is too short for one single day to continue to feel that way, especially if you are at a point where you're realizing it and that everybody has to do what's right for them. Because it worked for me doesn't it mean, does not mean it's going to work for Sally. And I think that I just think that it's so incredibly empowering when you get to the point where you are able to say, I will do anything to not feel like this for one more minute. And I know that that's the same thing that I said when I initially went to the, you know, my doctor. That being said, I have been in therapy for years and the best therapist on the planet, she actually lives in Hawaii. And I started going to her when we were living in Hawaii. And We have been so close ever since. I look to her more as a mentor and a friend, but we still have phone sessions here and there when I need a, when I sort of need a refresh. So it's not like I'm just taking pills blindly and being like, woohoo, everything's good. I mean, I still have my moments where I have to stop and take a deep breath and rearrange my thinking because a lot of it is all in our heads. No pun intended. (laughs) So now in the holiday season in 2014, where do you find yourself? Because I know we were sharing before this call, I was mentioning the episode with Courtney Carver that just aired about her life and how she's like selectively chosen to slow down. Do you feel like there's anything there that you're working on in your own life? Funny. It's probably the polar opposite. My goal after (laughs) having my third baby in September was to slow down last September. I'm sorry. So he's, he's a year. I really did want to slow down and just enjoy this time and kind of take things a little bit easier, but life always has another plan for you. So I think that if something presents itself as an amazing opportunity, then you're a dumb dumb unless you jump on it. And that is what happened. And I am writing such a fabulous train to just personal and professional success. And certainly not to toot my own horn, but I have worked so incredibly hard for the last 10 years as a designer. And, and, you know, the things that I said when I finished school, what I wanted to be doing, who I wanted to be working with or for that I thought never in a million years would happen is happening. And that is so exciting for me and such an accomplishment. So I guess to answer your question, I'm not slowing down. I'm heating it up more so than ever. Most people wouldn't know because a lot of it is done outside of my public brand, Mrs. Lillian. So nobody would know. But I am doing the consulting creative direction for Jonathan Adler. Tell us more about that. So I have been working with him. He's he's a really, really amazing human being and someone who I have admired so much and became fast friends with, thanks to Mrs. Lillian blog. And we've always stayed in touch. And so an opportunity came up and I took it and I've been running with it like an intoxicated child ever since. <laughs> It's amazing. And and it's opened more doors for other exciting things. And it's been great and such a fun company to work with, such a talented group of people. And I mean, I don't need to speak. uh, I don't need to speak at all to Jonathan because he speaks for himself. But he is just such a delight and a pleasure and just viciously 
hilarious human being that being in his presence is just sort of like visiting another planet. So it's, it's just so great. Okay. So I have two immediate questions. (laughs) One, what are you doing for them? Like, how are you contributing? And two, what have you learned from Jonathan directly? Okay. The first is, so what I do for them is I work with a team of people remotely. We kind of go over the different visuals that need to be created for most of it is e-commerce side of things. So we'll talk about what's needed. And I work hand in hand with a copywriter and a developer and, um, gosh, a merchant. I mean, there's a So you're leading the team when they need to make a graphic and write the copy and make the visual, you're leading that team that's going to create it. So basically what happens is once I have all the information, I go to my crazy space in my head and obviously in front of my computer, my magic machine, I turn it out. And obviously what I create at the end of the day is an it has to go through a bunch of different filters. I should say that. So I, you know, it's a, it is a collaborative effort. That being said, I am the one that gets to do it. There are all, always so many edits that have to be done and, and so on and so forth. And things need to be shifted and, and rearranged to really cater to the more scientific number side of things, which is a new thing for me, um, but fascinating nonetheless. But gosh, just having the ball in my court and, and being able to take something and whip it up exactly the way that my brain sees it, but for such an amazing, super ultra chic and frothy brand like Jonathan Adler is a super easy in the sense of, oh my gosh, I don't have to think very hard to do this because my brain works just like that brand's brain and it's just a perfect fit. But it's also fun because I think ultimately I'm now doing something I never thought I ever would have the opportunity to do. So here's what I love about that as well. So we have a lot of people on that have their own businesses. And I'm always saying it's not only those people that are living purpose-driven lives. And what I love is what you've kind of used is your personal brand or your own thing to lead to a partnership or collaboration or even a position at a dream company. And that you didn't just say, oh, I have to stay with my own thing and stick to like just my stuff, but that you are able to lend your talents and get just as much fulfillment and meaning from doing something on a larger scale with a larger organization too. That's awesome. Absolutely. And really, you know, I've always thought of Mrs. Lillian, which I am obviously her. And I know we probably talked about this before, but (laughs) I say it because I'm speaking to the brand at, at this point is I've always, always, always looked at it as a daily portfolio, a place where Monday through Friday, I get to showcase whatever I want however I want to, the way I want to do it. So I pour myself into it because I realize that there are eyes that look at it, that know, that come to trust, love, know it. That is probably one of the best things that I did is that I never really turned it into anything that wasn't really true to my brain. Now, I have done lots of projects with it as a business because it still is a business and that's really what you know, I'm, I'm obligated to do. So under certain contracts, that being said, I put out my A game every single day. I can't, won't, and don't even have the capability to put up something that is half-ass or, um, sloppy. Well, I always 
make spelling mistakes and people tell me all the time, but that to me is whatever. (laughs) I'm talking about just sort of like the fun, graphic, creative directional side that I think is such a huge strength of mine. And I only say that not to, not to be an egotistical brat, but because I'm really freaking bad at so many things. It's not even funny that it's only fair that I get to say I'm really freaking good at what I do. And that's because I, I suck at a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. So I feel lucky that I have one thing I'm good at. <laughs> well, now I want to go back. So what have you learned from Jonathan Adler? He is the funniest person I have ever met. The funniest. He does not <laughs> apologize for anything. He is exactly who he is all the time. When he obviously has the time to let his belly out, which he doesn't even have, he is so, I mean, he is off the leash. He is so freaking flagrant and funny and hilarious to the point where I have probably almost wet my pants during brunch with him and Simon five (laughs) times, five times. They are genius. They're brilliant. They're both such amazing storytellers. Simon, his husband is so God to be inside of his mind. I've read all of his books. I totally encourage everybody else to, too. But they are so freaking funny that when I'm done with brunch, we usually always do a morning date uh, together. But when, when that is over, my face hurts like it just did 85 squats because I have laughed <laughs> so hard. I probably got a new wrinkle or a new like crow's foot from that. But it was so worth it because they're hilarious. What has the humor taught you? Oh, just to be yourself. I mean, I am a very real human being. And I know today we've talked about a lot of really heavy, serious things. I'm happy to shed light on and not afraid to do it whatsoever. But I, too, am a very live out loud kind of gal. And I think I'm known for that. I think people would qualify or quantify me as being very um, vivacious and quirky. And um, I am all of those things. And I think just sort of being in their presence and sort of watching them conduct their orchestra of genius in front of me just by being, being them has really, it gives me more confidence to sort of let it out and not apologize for it either. I haven't done it here so much because I've been trying really hard to be a lady, but I... Moms listen to it with their kids, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, and I'm, and I'm all on board with that, but I curse like a sailor and they do the same thing. And so it's, I'm not saying that because they do it, it's right, but it's sort of in a way... It's just who I am. I can't help it, you know? And so I'm really passionate about what I speak to usually. And those words are, they are just synonymous with passionate for me. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just don't apologize for who you are, for what you say. I mean, obviously be appropriate in the situation that you're in. But yeah, just sort of being exactly who you are and delivering on that promise to people that thought, oh, I bet that person's just a complete, just like a whiz to sit down with. And I think that they, if they did get that chance to sit down with, they would not uh, be disappointed whatsoever. (laughs) 
I don't know if you've ever heard Jasmine Starr talk, but she has this really epic speech that she's given a few years at Alt Summit. And she talks about the importance of being who you are and either retracting or repelling people. And I feel like what you're sharing, you know, swearing and like the being so unabashedly whoever you are has that natural ability to attract the people that are attracted to it and repel the people that are not because it's as jasmine would say you don't want to be oatmeal everyone's kind of lackluster (laughs) about the oatmeal you want to be like pistachio ice cream or something like that's hilarious I love that. She gave an example of, uh, she shared that she likes to dip her cookies. I I think I'm sharing this correctly. She dips her cookies in orange juice. And she knew by sharing that specific fact about her life. Now, it's not huge. She's a photographer by day. So it's not like people are going to say her photography is great or sucks because of it. But she knew that it would get a reaction from people. Either they would not care that she did it, but they'd know more about her or they would hate her. Like it's a an emotional subject, she said, for people what they dip their cookies in. Anyways, it's an interesting thing. All right. So what doubts or resistance? And I guess we've covered a few, but if there's any specifically or you can just trace back to some, what doubts or resistance have you internally had to face in your life? Oh, um, I think before really coming to terms with, with my own mental health and really taking it by the horns, (laughs) (laughs) I think I doubted myself on a daily basis. I totally was not as self-confident as I am today. And by self-confident, I certainly don't mean cocky or egotistical. I mean, believing in your ability to do something, do it well, and, and do it consistently. That has changed. And, and I'm so incredibly grateful for it. God, I have learned so much just from that alone. Other doubtful moments may have been professionally speaking, pertaining to having a public brand, having management. Um, I've had a management company representing me since 2012 and they're amazing. They are so great, brilliant. And I know them all personally and, and, and I'm intertwined with them on a personal level. And that obviously comes with time and trust, so on and so forth. But there have been a few times where I found myself in really interesting situations that I did not, A, think I would, would really happen when I said, oh, okay, I guess I'll try that. And B, didn't want to be in. And C, was hoping desperately that it wouldn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Such as being in the offices of Bravo, A&E, the Lifetime channel with a TV producer and um, basically like a, a, a rough draft of a pilot because that just so isn't me. And, and I just think in my mind, I kept thinking, all right, well, you know, eventually these people are going to figure out that this is not a good idea and they're just going to pull the plug. So I'm just going to go along with it until someone says so, but really, truly internally panicked because I didn't want to do it. And I don't know why at the time I didn't have the courage to say, you know what, I don't think that's a good idea because I'm really private and I just am not into that at the end of the day. I'm a graphic designer and this is what I want to stick to. But it was a great experience, I'll tell you that much. So that that would be a doubt is to certainly if you do have a lot of hands in your pot that have a say and, and are also helping to guide and direct you in a successful professional way to listen to yourself. If something doesn't feel right, then it's probably not right. Did you eventually pull the plug yourself or what happened? I, here's the thing. Like the first, 
really kind of an unfortunate circumstance, but the producer that I was was working with, I guess, at the first time, he ended up passing away. It was actually like right around this time. And I think like because we had such a good rapport, I was just like, oh, whatever. I'll just do it for a little bit. But I don't want to do this. And he just was like, oh, God, you'll have so much fun. I'll be da-da-da-da-da-da and kind of selling me on it. And I just kept thinking like, I don't I'll just go along with it because I know it's not going to pan out. Like I knew it wouldn't because I knew at the end of the day, I didn't want to do it. So that happened. And then I was so incredibly relieved that it was not really um, in the works. And then it reared its head again, I want to say a year later. And I kind of just said, I'll sit and chat. But the thing is, is that I really am not into displaying myself um, on a personal open it up, rip it apart, reality TV kind of way. This would be so much better suited for someone who eats that up and is meant to do that. And so I did at that time find my voice. And I'm so glad I did because I I could not even imagine. And you got to work with Jonathan, I'm guessing, that came after. I did. Absolutely. So I mean, all these things, everything in life happens for a reason. And I am such a believer in that. And it pains me to say this, but I have to, I don't have a choice in this situation. When one door closes, another one opens. It's so true. And even when things feel, you know, like they're, they're in the dumps and not going anywhere and a bunch of things sort of piled up in your face and, you know, everything kind of fizzled away and nothing really panned out. It is for a reason. And whether it's because you need to slow down and stop being so professionally engaged and focus on you, or whether it's because a bigger, better, more suitable opportunity is waiting in the wings. I think that, I think those would be the the reasons, but not to overthink it. And again, if it doesn't feel right, then it is not right. That's a wonderful segue to the last question. So what would you (laughs) tell someone just starting out on this journey? Okay. Well, it's a wild journey and I don't know really what they would be doing. I don't know. I have no idea how I even got to where I am. I really just don't know. And I still am like shocked every single day that I'm still doing it and that it's working out. And I'm looking over my shoulder wondering how the heck did this happen? But that being said, I certainly would say if you were going to start your own brand, that's something that I can certainly speak to, to be so incredibly true to your character. Do not try and be something that is successful for somebody else. It will never be successful for you. I say that this also comes from a woman who writes and rhyme. And who is totally, I'm sure sometimes I look like I'm a crazy hot mess and I probably am, but be true to that, you know? And, and I think that I have certainly shared that today, but whatever your strength is, that's what your focus should be. So I am absolutely not a writer. I don't write. I don't like to read books because it's hard for me. It always has been. So I, I have avoided them. And I continue to do so. And it's certainly not the way that I hope my children go about it. But (laughs) so in in that sense, I don't try and write in a way in a in a format that that would be challenging for me, because that is not my strength. I can rhyme like I can, 
say my ABCs. So that is why I do what I do. I don't do serious, dark design. I don't do, um, I don't illustrate dragons. I don't, there's certain things that I don't do because that is not what I'm good at. I'm good at what you see. And so I think that is part of the success. Um, I think that's one of the biggest contributors to the, to the success of Mrs. Lillian and really to any brand that is owning their skill and staying true to it and not deviating from it in any way because what they're finding on another person's format is really successful for them. That's great. Look at what they found. Let's be happy for them. But that's not what's successful for you. That is the number one advice that I give to everybody that asks me because I think it is the most poignant and useful and just successful advice that I can give. I love that. Yeah. So anyways, there you have it. That's wonderful. Thank you, Kelly, so much for coming on twice, even though this is one interview, and for sharing so openly on both ends of the spectrum, the dark and the light. Yay! And there you have it. Thank you, Mrs. Lillian or Kelly, for coming on the show so much, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Mrs. Lillian or Kelly a message, you can go over to Twitter. Her handle is Mrs. Lillian, M-R-S-L-I-L-I-E-N. Thank you guys so much. And again, if your gut tells you to sign up for Life with Intention Online, I hope you do so at lifewithintentiononline.com. Thank you guys so much and may something wonderful happen to you today. 